Good morning. And Merry Christmas. Uh, go ahead and be turning uh, in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. And while you're turning there, let me just say thank you uh, to our church family. I know I mentioned this last week, but I wouldn't trade uh, anything of being able to raise our family uh, in the life of Everglades Baptist Church. For Mandy and I, it has been a tremendous, tremendous blessing. And so we love you guys and thank you for your kindness. So today we'll be in Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. And we're going to be talking about the covenant of marriage. The covenant of marriage. There's a pandemic in our world today that's far worse and much more destructive and deadly than that of COVID. It's the destruction of the family as God has designed it. We live in a time and a culture where it's politically incorrect to refer to marriage as being between one man and one woman for a lifetime. It's intolerant to believe and proclaim that there are only two genders. We've gone from divorce occurring in 10% of our marriages in America in 1900 to 25% in 1950 to over 50% in 2000. Interestingly, the divorce rate has decreased slightly over the last 20 years. But before we are too encouraged by that, the main reason is most people choose to not marry, but instead to cohabitate together. We need the gospel. Now, instead of focusing this morning on these issues with our society, the reality of divorce, my aim today is for us to focus on the glory of God and the greatness of this gift of marriage, this gift of grace. I'm going to go ahead and tell you on the front end, we will not cover everything in this passage today, or we would be here for a really, really long time. And I don't preach again until I think February, so this is going to be probably at least a three-part series, but it'll be a while before uh, we get back to it. But as I thought about the gift of marriage for myself, July 31st, 1999, it's hard to believe, Mandy, almost 25 years ago, as it's already been said today, God bless me with the gift of a godly wife. And one of the things that Mandy and I chose to do that was a little bit different and went against American tradition is we chose to see each other before the ceremony so that we could pray together and give God thanks. And I remember that moment, Mandy, like it was just yesterday in a lot of ways. Thankful for the gift of marriage. Now, before we dig into this text, there's two ditches that we could fall into very easily. The first one would be where our culture has gone. The church can allow the culture to dictate our view of marriage. We don't want to offend anyone, so we lower our standard or our view of marriage, and sadly, divorce becomes very, very commonplace. 
Instead of focusing on the beauty of marriage and the holiness of marriage and the glory of God in marriage, we get focused on ourselves and what society thinks. Let's be very clear on the front end. In Malachi 2.16, God says He hates divorce. Malachi 2.16. Now, the second ditch that we could fall into as a church is we could have a very high view of marriage, which we should, but not be filled with grace and compassion and the love of Jesus in a fallen, broken world. We understand in our families and probably many of us that are here today, there have been terrible, terrible evils and sins and things that have happened in marriages across our land. Sexual immorality, abuse, and I could go on and on and on. And so as people come, they come in brokenness. And we want to be filled with love and grace and humility as we stand on the truth of God's Word. You see, divorce is not the unpardonable sin. And people who have been divorced are not second-class kingdom citizens. And thankfully, by God's grace, many people that have been divorced and remarried have been able to enjoy a Christ-centered, godly marriage. So my aim today as we look at this passage is that Everglades Baptist Church will be a place where Jesus is exalted and we value marriage and we exalt a Christ-centered marriage. Yet, as we do that, we are filled with the love and grace and mercy and compassion of Jesus regarding the brokenness of our world. So let's read our passage and then we'll open in prayer. Mark. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, Well, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let's pray together. God, you are worthy of all glory, honor, and praise this morning. And we understand by your Spirit, through the truth of your Word, that you have ordained and instituted marriage. It's your plan. It's your purpose for Christ to be exalted. For us to enjoy what true intimacy and relationship looks like in a marriage. 
And so, God, would you help us this morning to rightly understand your word, applying it to our hearts and our minds, and that we would be able to walk out of here today exalting Christ, loving you, God, loving one another, loving our families, loving our spouses as Christ loves the church. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So let's go back to verse one. It says he left there and he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan and crowds gathered to him again. So Jesus here, he leaves this region of Galilee uh, there at Capernaum. You know, we've been in the Gospel of Mark for a really long time now, and he heads down to Judea, beyond the Jordan. And in studying this, most likely he's now on the east side of the Jordan River in a place that was called Perea. And as normal, the crowds gather again to Jesus, and he begins to teach them, as was his custom. Jesus was always preaching and teaching truth. Now, one thing that you need to know about where he was at, this was also where the ministry of John the Baptist was for a while. And this is where Herod Antipas was ruling and reigning. And if you remember from Mark chapter 6, I believe it was, with Herod Antipas, he's the one that had divorced his wife and married his brother Philip's wife, Herodias. And if you remember the context here, John the Baptist confronted Herod Antipas about what he had done, that it was not right before the Lord. And John the Baptist was beheaded for standing for truth. So now look at verse 2. The Pharisees come up and in order to test him, they ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? These Jewish leaders, these religious leaders, these Pharisees, you know by now, we've talked about this many times, they hated Jesus. He was a threat to their position and their power and their authority. And as the people were following Jesus, they did not like this. And all the context that I just shared with you about John the Baptist, they would have known this very well. And so as they had tried many times before of trying to trick Jesus, trying to catch him into a, a mistake or making him look bad in front of the people, they come again to test him. The question that they asked there, is it lawful, Jesus, for a man to divorce his wife? And Matthew 19 adds, for any cause. And now look at verse 3. Jesus answers them, What did Moses command you? Jesus answers the way he typically would answer, doesn't he? He answers with a question to their question. He takes them back 
to the Word. He takes them back to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. I'm not going to go there today for the sake of time, but we will come back when we focus more on divorce. I really want us to focus on the gift of marriage today. But in that passage, when you go to verse 4 now in Mark 10, verse 4, They are giving an interpretation of that passage of Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, that case law, and they say this. You know, they say to Jesus, Well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Now, when you go to that passage there in Deuteronomy, what the passage is really getting at is that when one divorces his wife and she marries another, and then he either divorces her or he dies, the first husband can't take her again as his wife because she is now defiled or unclean. It would be, as it says in the text, an abomination before the Lord. So, again, we'll look at this more at another time, but Deuteronomy 24, it's not a command to divorce, but it's instead giving instruction after a divorce takes place. Honestly, guys, it helped provide protection for women who were being mistreated of men that were divorcing them for any reason that they could come up with. Now, in Deuteronomy 24.1, it does describe a man writing a certificate of divorce if he found some indecency in his wife. Now, at the time of Jesus, there were two train or two schools of thought. There was the Shammai rabbinical school and there was the Hillel rabbinical school. The Shammai position was a much more conservative position about divorce, that really a man could only divorce his wife if there was some kind of sexual immorality or infidelity. The Hillel school, on the other hand, was very liberal. The way that they interpreted any indecency in her were some of these things. If she annoyed him or embarrassed him, if she spoiled her husband's dinner, if she had her head uncovered when she went outside the house, if she was argumentative with his mother, if she was childless, if, if he found another woman more attractive, and on and on and on. Basically, he, according to the Hillel school of thought, had the right to write this certificate of divorce. Kind of sounds like American culture today, if we're honest. So, go back to Mark 10, verse 2, and the question that they're asking Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And they're going back to this Deuteronomy 24 text, And in the first century in that time, guess what position held the most weight? The Hillel position, the more liberal position. There were many leaders that were divorcing and many in the culture, in the context. And so they're trying to put Jesus in this corner because I want you to think about it. If he goes the route of the Shammai conservative 
position on divorce, then, ah, maybe Herod Antipas, who got divorced from his wife so he could marry his brother's wife, maybe he'll do the same thing to Jesus that he did to John the Baptist. Or at the very least, Jesus will not be seen in a good light amongst the popularity of the people. Now, if Jesus chooses to go the liberal bent of the Hillel school, then they would be able to say, well, Jesus isn't really a follower or the keeper of the law. He's kind of soft when it comes to the law of God. They think they have Jesus in a no-win situation. But how does Jesus respond to this test? We'll go back to Mark 10. We've already seen that He told them to go back to what Moses commanded there in verses 3 and 4. But look at verse 5 in Mark 10. Jesus says unto them, Because of your hardness of heart, He wrote you this commandment. You see, divorce in some way, shape, or form comes because of the hardness of the hearts of people. But then Jesus takes them directly to the Word. He takes them right back to creation. He takes them right back to God's design for marriage. Scripture always interprets Scripture. And Jesus is making that clear because look at what He does there in verse 6. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God, Jesus is taking them back to the beginning. God is the creator. God is the author. God is sovereign over all of creation. And by the way, God is the one who ordained two genders, male and female. Everglades Baptist Church, don't you ever bend. Don't you ever give in to this culture and societal lie, even if you get arrested, even if you get put in prison, even if we're told we can't worship anymore. God has said there are two genders, male and female. Get ready in American culture on that one. Get ready. God created gender. Now, I want you to go to Genesis chapter 2. Let's talk specifically about marriage. But in order to have marriage, by the way, you have to have the two genders. So you have to start there. Marriage is to be between one man and one woman for a lifetime. Why? Because that's what God has said. And you'll see that in Genesis chapter 2. Turn there, 18 through 24. Starting in verse 18, we see here God ordaining the institution of marriage. The Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. 
I will make him a helper fit for him. God is establishing here marriage for companionship. Eve was perfectly designed by God to be Adam's helper. She was fit for him. I am so thankful for my wife and how she comes alongside me. Verses 19 and 20. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock, the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him." So in this passage, we see headship being established of God ordering that, of the man, of the headship. He has dominion over the animals, and yet he's lonely. He doesn't have a companion. There's not a helper suitable for him. But then we move forward. Verse 21 So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And so now we have marriage instituted by God and he takes the woman from the rib of man. And I think it was Christodom, one of the early church fathers that talked about it's not from the head of the man so that she would try to rule over him or from the foot of man so that man would try to crush uh, his wife, but it's from the side of man that she comes alongside him. We understand according to Scripture that men and women, boys and girls, all have equal value and dignity and worth because we're made in the image of God. But we also understand that In marriage and in God's design, there's different roles and responsibilities that men and women have and that the man has what's known as headship, not in a way that he uh, uses that for his own power and dominion and, you know, dictatorship, but in a way that will exalt the glory of God and be good for the family. And so when you read verse 23, it says that, Adam here, he says, this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. He is recognizing the beauty and this gift and the glory of God in marriage. And then finally there in verse 24, therefore man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. God is beginning to give us what this marital union will look like. Now, I want to give one application, and then I'm going to get into that uh, leaving, cleaving, cleaving in one flesh, because that's also in the Gospel of Mark. But there was something, as I was praying through this, you know, God ordains marriage, but I want you to think about this. Who gave Eve to Adam? It was God. God the Father gave Eve to be Adam's wife. When you look at verse 22, it even says he brought her to the man. So I thought about that of an application earthly wise for us. The father gave the bride away. 
We see this in the wedding ceremonies, don't we? Mandy's dad gave his daughter away to me, entrusting her into my care. I have a daughter that the Lord willing will do that one day. It's a very special, a very significant thing. Fathers, we have a responsibility to raise up our daughters in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. And then we are to give them away at the right time, not just to anybody, but to a godly man who will continue to fulfill that role of male headship. It's so serious and so significant. Daughters, you should submit to this Sons, you are not only to receive your wife from the Lord, but from her earthly father. You should ask for her hand in marriage from her earthly father, because we are to honor and obey our parents in the Lord. Fathers, we also have a responsibility to prepare our sons for marriage. It's our responsibility, dads, to prepare. And then as a church... We own that together of preparing our boys and our girls as they become young men and young women for marriage. And then finally, marriage is to be between one man and one woman for a lifetime. So let me just state the obvious here when we think about this text. And you can go ahead and flip back to Mark 10. We'll pick back up there in a second. There's no such thing as a homosexual marriage biblically. Polygamy is sinful and wrong of having multiple spouses. Cohabitation is sinful and wrong. Polyamorous relationships are wrong before the Lord of having these romantic relationships with more than one person at a time. That's not the way God designed it. So go back to Mark chapter 10 verse 7. Jesus is saying the same thing that Genesis 2 says. By the way, that Genesis 2 passage, it's four times that we see it in the, the Scriptures. Um, we've, we've seen Mark, we've seen Genesis, it's also uh, in Matthew. But Mark 10, 7, look at it. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. I also thought about this, Pastor Doug. Again, I'm stating the obvious, but it, it's the times that we live in Look at the terminology that God uses. Male, female, husband, wife, mother, father. Those are biblical terms. It doesn't matter what society and culture says. I'm telling you, you better be ready to lovingly stand for truth. You can't give in on these things. These are non-negotiable, essential truths of the Bible. Those are good terms. Father, mother, husband, wife. Never stop using them. Who is to get married? Well, we've talked about this. One man to one woman for a lifetime. But let me say this. They both are to be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 6.14 tells us to not be unequally yoked to unbelievers. So parents, we have that responsibility of our sons and our daughters that they're in the faith and who they choose to marry, that they're in the faith. Obviously, God has to save them, but we are pointing them to Christ. We're praying for their salvation. When should marriage occur? Well, when a 
godly man is ready to leave his parents and cleave to his wife. That word there or that phrase to leave, it means to depart from his parents and to establish a new family. It means to leave behind. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't ever talk to your family again and that families, we don't help one another. But you do need to understand, young men, it's a responsibility of you're no longer dependent on your parents, but in God's design, you now are responsible for a new family, a new household. A man must be able to be a protector a provider, a priest, and a prophet of his home to be a candidate for marriage. He has to be able to pay the bills. He must be able to get up every morning and go to work. He must protect his wife as the weaker vessel. He must take the reins of headship and be a spiritual leader. He must wash her with the water of the word. He must saturate her with prayer. He must lead his family in worship. He must lead his family to be connected with a local church. And so let me speak to the young men in this room. If you're not ready to do all those things, you're not ready for marriage. And I'm not talking about perfection, okay? I Trust me, when I was in that room and I'm taking Mandy you know, to, to be my wife and she walks down that aisle and that responsibility... There was a lot of way in a lot of ways I was not ready for what God was calling me to do. But I'm so thankful for my parents. I'm so thankful for my dad. He had prepared me as best he could. And most thankful for the grace of God that I could take those reins and begin to fulfill that responsibility and by the grace of God to grow in Christ of loving Mandy the way that Christ loves the church. Now, holding fast to or cleaving to his wife, it means to be glued together. So here's what I normally do when I do premarital counseling. I will take two paper hearts and I will staple them as much as I possibly can and I will glue them and tape them as much as I possibly can. And then I will give them to that couple for them to see, all right, I want you to take these two Two paper hearts apart without damaging. You can't do it. One flesh. As love as as much as I love my kids, as much as I love you guys, apart from my relationship with Jesus, the most important relationship in my life is with Mandy. She's the only person I am one flesh with. I can't make that, I can't say enough how significant that that really is of the one flesh union of marriage. You leave and you cleave. The covenant of marriage is meant to be permanent. And now verses 8 and 9. He says this, and the two shall become one flesh. There's this union here, this deep, deep intimacy. They're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. No man has the right to break apart a marriage once God has joined the man and woman together. That joining together, it's to be yoked together. 
Interesting, when you look at verse 9, and it says, let not man separate or let not man divorce. So I was studying this. That's an imperative. It is a command from the Lord. It's of utmost seriousness. So let me wrap this up, okay? And when I say that, give me about five to seven minutes, okay? There, there's, there's so much that could be said. Marriage is God's doing. It was his design in creation. He personally gave away the first bride, bride, excuse me, the first bride. He defined it. Leave your parents. Hold fast to your wife. And then God makes you one flesh. Why marriage? Well, there's procreation. God seeks godly offspring from godly marriages. Aren't you thankful for all the wonderful kids God has blessed us with here at Everglades and entrusted to our care? That's one of the the beauties and the joys of marriage. Companionship, intimacy, sexual fulfillment. Adam was lonely and marriage provided him with this friendship and this intimacy at the deepest level. The creation mandate. Marriage and family is the foundation of mankind taking care of the earth. You can go back to Genesis 1.26 that we were to have dominion. Trust me, I'm telling you, once the family's destroyed, civilization is destroyed. It's the way God designed it, ordained it. Marriage, family. The, the way America is going, it's the path of destruction. That's why I told you it's more serious than any other pandemic. It's destruction. But there's something even greater than all of those things. I want you to turn to Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. Ephesians 5. On top of all the feelings and the emotions and the experiences and the happiness and the romance and the companionship and the blessing of children, I could go on and on and on. And by the way, those are all good things. It's oh, Let me say this, if I haven't said this, it's okay to be happy in your marriages. Okay, there, there is true joy and intimacy. And I understand that in the broken world we live in that that doesn't always look that way. But marriages, it it is okay for us to enjoy one another before the Lord. Happiness, it's okay, okay? But that's not the main goal. The main goal is the glory of God, the holiness of God. And we see that in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Oh, we've read this before, haven't we? This is the fourth place. And hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. But then I want you, I'm sorry, that was 31. I want you to look now at verse 32. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Pastor Doug, I can't get over that one. I'm going to read that again. Marriage. It's a profound mystery. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. That is the main purpose. That is the main reason 
of marriage. The glory of God that people would see Jesus Christ exalted. He is the bridegroom. The church is his people. And our marriages, my marriage to Mandy, Doug's marriage to Rachel, Jim's marriage to Kathy, and I could go on and on, is to exalt Christ. That people would see Christ in our homes and in our marriages. And as the church submits to Christ, that that would be seen in our marriages and in our homes. I can't say it enough of the seriousness of it. And I didn't say that. God did. Doug, that right there is why I can't, I just can't let go of the permanence of marriage. And I'll talk more about that because I understand there's exception clauses and all that stuff and we'll get into that. I'm just telling you, there's never a time, there's never a place when Jesus Christ leaves His people. He says He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. John Piper said, Marriage is not mainly about staying in love, but about keeping covenant. Marriage is the display of the covenant-keeping love between Christ and His people. And I want you to think about our wedding vows. Think about the vows that we take at the altar, at least the vows that Manny and I took, because I looked them back up. I, Eric... Take thee, Mandy, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part, according to God's holy ordinance. And thereto I pledge to you my love. If we don't have a permanent view of marriage, I'm going to be honest with you. We need to change our wedding vows. And for whatever reasons that we have for divorcing someone, add those into your vows on the front end. It's so, so serious. And yet, guys, as I said at the very front, I understand the depravity of man, the sinfulness of man, the brokenness of our world, and that marriages, families, that divorce happens and there's terrible brokenness. Okay? So all the stuff that I'm saying, I do understand that we live in a fallen and broken world, but I'm just telling us as a church, exalt Christ, exalt biblical marriage. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 says, All things were created by Him, through Him, and for Him. In Christ, all things hold together, which would include marriage. And if you've been divorced and, and you've been remarried, be faithful now in the marriage that God has given you. Be faithful now. Okay, divorce is not this unpardonable sin. Move forward in faith. Move forward in the gospel in Christ and be faithful now in the marriage that you are in. And I want to leave you guys with the gospel. These are some things that Tom Askell shared with us at the pastor's conference that we had, going all the way back to the beginning of Adam and Eve. You know, Adam, as the first husband, think about the garden in Genesis 3. Think about what happened in that scene. The serpent comes on the scene. Adam and Eve are both there. And the serpent begins to speak lies, but it sounds like truth. It sounds good. And there's deception in his words. And, the Bible says that Eve was deceived, but 
Adam was there. And instead of protecting her from the serpent, he could have shooed the serpent away. He could have killed the serpent, whatever. He doesn't. He failed as her protector. Then as she reached for that fruit, Adam could have said, no, God has given us all that we need that pertains to life and godliness. We must not go against his word. We must not disobey. Adam failed as her provider and as her prophet, a man of truth. And then finally, Eve sinned by eating of the forbidden fruit. And Adam did too, by the way. He should have immediately interceded or prayed on her behalf, begging for God's mercy. When she took that fruit and she ate, instead of him eating with her, he should have taken her before the Lord as her priest and he should have interceded for her and he should have prayed for her. He should have begged for God's mercy because of her disobedience against God's word. But Adam didn't. He failed as her priest. He should have offered himself to take the punishment for her to die in her place. But he doesn't. And if the story ended there, none of us would have hope. We'd all die in our sin. Adam is our federal head. We are all in sin. We're born in sin and we choose to sin. And just like Adam, I have failed as a provider, as a protector, as a prophet, and as a priest. But oh, we have one this morning, don't we? Oh, we have one, the second Adam, the Lord, the Savior, the Rescuer, the Redeemer, and His name is Jesus Christ. And He is our provider. He is our protector. He is our prophet. He is our priest. He is our King. And He never fails. And if you're here this morning and you're still dead in your trespasses and sins, you can be forgiven this morning. You can look to Christ. He died in our place. What Adam failed to do, Jesus did. He substituted Himself, died on the cross, took the wrath of God, the judgment of God that we could go free, that we could be forgiven, that we could have a relationship with God, that we could have eternal life. That's the gift of salvation and that's our God. And I'll leave us with what Pastor Jim started us with, Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Everglades Baptist Church, I ask you again, does a lost and dying world see Jesus Christ in our homes and in our marriages? Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we thank You for this morning. God, as I prayed before anything that I said today that was not of You, please forgive me. But Lord, Your Word went forth today. And as Pastor Jim reminds us often, as we read Scripture and as I reread Scripture your word is infallible. It is without error and it says what it says. And God, you tell us 
and you have all authority that marriage is of you. It's your design. You instituted it. You ordained it. And our marriages are to be a picture of Christ and the church. Jesus, we can't do that. We're like the first Adam. We're sinful creatures. But we're thankful that Christ and your amazing kindness and grace and love and mercy that you forgive us and you come to live in us and you equip us and you empower us to be the men, the women that you have called us to be in our homes. And so, Lord, I pray that you will be glorified, you will be exalted in our marriages for the furtherance of the gospel. And it's in the wonderful name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, let's continue to worship the Lord through song this morning.